Well, thank you for being here this evening. I appreciate it. We are in Zechariah chapter 3. We've got 10 verses. It is the fourth vision. Uh, in this case, uh, it's going to be a vision that Zechariah is going to watch. Uh, there's going to be one place where he in- interjects and says something in the vision. So he's, he's watching it kind of in a live setting, but so he can talk to those that are acting out the vision. Uh, so it's, it is unique in that sense. Uh, I've got written on here point three on the f- first page, the characters that you're going to see in this, in this vision. You're going to see Joshua, the high priest. You're going to see the angel of the Lord. You're going to see Satan or the accuser, uh, the adversary. And then we're going to see the Lord put that in parentheses and because and that's Yahweh these are both capital letters all the way through uh, that's Yahweh so the angel of Yahweh and Yahweh and it may be the same it may be the second member of the Trinity and the first member of the Trinity or it may be in this case the second member of the Trinity and the second member of the Trinity there also you'll have to have to decide as we go through it and then we've got a group of uh, those that are standing uh, uh, the before, there's a group standing uh, in front of or before Joshua. And then there's going to be a second group that is sitting before him. And so we can say, uh, as we look at this, sit before him. They may be the same group. This could be angels that are standing before Joshua at one point in the vision. These could be priests that are there before him. And, 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 and in, I think in both cases, these have to be priests. And you'll see that as we go through there. And then we have Zechariah himself that's going to say something in the vision. And then we're going to have the branch, which is not going to appear in the vision, but is going to be a sign of the branch or the stone, or the servant, which is what all this vision is pointing towards. So this, this right here is something that is projected. So for sure, you've got Joshua's, Joshua, you've got Joshua, you've got the angel of the Lord, and you've got Satan for sure. And then you're going to have to decide, the Lord, is it the, the, the Father? and then these two groups that are standing before him. So here we go. I'll read through it in the NIV. You can hear these groups. And there's several phases of this where you're going to see it, and you're going to have representation, and then you're going to have uh, a command or a a promise, uh, a charge given to the priests, given to Israel, given to the city of Jerusalem with a promise of some things taking place. Here we go. Chapter 3, verse 1 in the NIV. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and then Lord is Yahweh, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord, Yahweh, said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy garments. So that, I mean, that, that's what he hears. He hears that interaction take place. And now he describes what he was looking at. Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And we assume that's the angel of the Lord. The angel said to those who were standing before him. So who are these that are standing before him? this group, uh, tell, they, he says, take off his filthy clothes. Then he said to Joshua, the angel, or the angel of the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin. And the very fact that he says, taken away your sin, would indicate that is the Lord. Just like we saw in Mark chapter, uh, chapter 1, where Jesus forgave the paralytic sins, and the Pharisee says, only, only God can do that. Jesus, well, what's easier to say your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk? So he identified himself as God because he could, could forgive sins, which means this one speaking is God. Or 
the angel of the Lord is God here also, just like it was Jesus in Mark that was forgiving sins. Here, the angel of the Lord is also the second member of the Trinity. Uh, Then he said to me, see, I've taken away your sin and I will put rich garments on you. Then I said, now also, see, all of a sudden in the middle of this, he's watching this take place and Zachariah goes right after the Lord speaks. Zachariah says, then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head. So these that are standing before him that are changing his clothes, they put a clean turban on his head as Zachariah has indicated. So the Lord is telling them what to do. But now Zechariah the prophet, who is speaking for the Lord, tells them what to do. Interesting, at least. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him, while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge. Now here's the charge. He gives it to Joshua. Now we're going to decide as we go through this. This is about Joshua, who is a high priest. It's about the priesthood that Joshua represents. But it's also about the nation of Israel that Joshua and the priesthood represent. But it's also about the restoration of Jerusalem. So, I mean, there's who is this representing? He gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in my ways and keep my requirements, there's the two charges, then you will, and here's three things, govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Now, who's standing there? These standing there, that are standing there clothing. Now, if they're angels, you'll, have, you'll be in charge of the, the temple. You'll have charge of the temple courts. And you'll also have a place standing among the angels in the presence of the angel of the Lord. I mean, reading this just off the top like this. Uh, so that would seem to be talking directly to the priests or of Israel. Then you'll uh, govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Now, verse 8. Listen, O high priest Joshua, and your associates seated before you. Now, now you've got people seated before him. I'm going to say these are angels that are standing before him, helping change his clothes and giving him the turban. And he'll have a place among the angels in the presence of the Lord. Now a charge comes to Joshua and those sitting before him, which would seem to be the priests that are working under him as the high priest. Again, I'm just giving an interpretation of this. Listen, O high priest Joshua, and your associates or friends seated before you who are men symbolic of things to come. Meaning all that you saw right here is symbolic of something that is yet future. In uh, 5, where are we at here? 519, right in this area, these things are future. So yet, at this time, the, the future could be the New Testament, it could be the Gospels, it could be distant eschatological events. Listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you, you are men symbolic of things to come. I mean, right there, you're a shadow. You're not the real thing, We're just doing a a routine here. This priesthood is just representative of something bigger that's coming. Right there, that's the book of Hebrews right there. So in other words, right even in the Old Testament, it's saying, you are nothing but a symbol, a shadow of something real that's coming. Moses said it's similar. Uh, uh, Men symbolic of things to come. Well, what's to come? I am going to bring, now it's identified as three things, My servant, the branch, see the stone. The servant, the branch, the stone. And all those are terms for the Messiah. And and they're all three references to a part of the Messiah's ministry. He's the servant of the Lord. He's the branch of David that's restored. He's the stone, uh, the foundation, but the stone of judgment you see in Daniel and the stone that men stumble over because they don't have faith. Uh, uh, men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant, the branch, see the stone. I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone. 
and I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty, and I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. Because of this stone, this branch, this servant that's coming, there's going to be an inscription written on it, and because of this stone that's sitting now in front of Joshua, there's going to be the sin of of the land will be removed in, in a single day. Again, is that the crucifixion? Or is that at the second coming? We can explain both. Verse 10. In that day, when this happens, each of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and fig tree, declares the Lord Almighty. When this is all, this is all symbolic of this branch, the stone, the servant that's coming. And when he does what he does, I will remove the sin from the land in one day. And then neighbors will invite each other to come over and sit underneath their own trees in other words we're talking about a kingdom of peace of stability that's all reference to the uh, millennial kingdom so that is what is being said there some of that stuff we can understand some of that stuff we're waiting for it to be fulfilled and now we look at the notes on page one and in there i've got the text typed out with the the hebrew uh text and the the transliteration of the hebrew and a translation of the Hebrew in the box there. But it's in the English Standard Version. Zechariah 3, verse 1. Then he showed me, again, uh, would appear to be uh, the angel that was speaking or interpreting for him, shows him. Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So you don't see uh, the angel doing any interpretation for Joshua here, but it does appear that he shows him this vision. And it's Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord, which that word standing, and I've got it written down there for you, yeah, right there, standing, is Ahmad or Ahmed, meaning to take one stand or to stand. You can stand against your enemy, you can stand, but it is used in a technical sense. For example, I've got Deuteronomy 10 and Second Chronicles 29 of the priest when they would minister before the Lord, they would stand in front of the Lord. When they would go into the most holy place uh, on the Day of Atonement, they would stand before the Lord. So we could see this right here as a priestly setting. There's the Lord, there's the high priest standing. But now all of a sudden popping up, it says on him, make sure I do this on the right side here, uh, standing before the uh, Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. So standing right here, on the right side is Satan. Now all of a sudden, what starts off, apparently when it says standing as a, a ministering scene in the temple or in the presence of the Lord, the high priest is there ministering to the Lord. And again, the high priest representing the priesthood, but also rep- representing all of the nation of Israel. So when we talk about Joshua being restored, uh, we're also talking about the priesthood being restored but we're also talking about Israel being restored to their right place. So there's, it's kind of a trickle down. Uh, there's, you know, we're talking to this individual. There's times where we're talking to the man, the priest. Times we're talking to the priesthood. And times we're talking to the whole thing that they're, they're representing in front of the Lord. But then all of this is symbolic of the, the branch that's going to come and do all of what this represents. And put an end to this because the branch is going to do the real work, which is the New Testament. Nonetheless, Satan is standing off here to the side. And when he brings the accusation, this all of a sudden turns into now a legal sense, a legal case, a courtroom setting. And it says right here, Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. We do not know what uh, he's being accused of. And if you even look there, let's see. And he showed me Joshua the priest uh, high standing before the angel of Yahweh and Satan. Yeah, right? It just translates to Satan there even right, right there. But the word means accuser or the adversary. So he is, all we know is he's accusing Joshua or the priesthood or all of Israel of something. Uh, we don't know what it would be. We can assume it's going to be of some sin or, or their behavior or their condition or of some 
you know, judgment God has pronounced, saint is arguing in front of his case, which is a, a, a common setting. You shouldn't forget this. This is a setting you see at different times in, in, the, in the Old Testament, in the Bible, of God is the judge of all, and saint is nothing more than an angel bringing the accusations or trying to justify his position. And all of history pivots on this setting right here of Satan accusing and bringing people into his realm and, and, not, and they're not being able to be delivered. But the angel of the Lord is going to have to do something like bring deliverance, bring salvation. So uh, we have several places in the Bible where you see a court setting or you see the, the uh, council of angels and the Lord is asking questions that are giving advice and getting their, their opinions known. Uh, Job is a classic case where the angel Lord or the Lord brings up the saint, saint and, and Satan speaks and tries to accuse Job. You know, well, you know, God says, look how good Job is. He's righteous. He's he's a, he's an upright man. And Satan says, that's only because you protect him. God says, well, take away, I, I take away his protection. And then Satan destroys all of his stuff. And then, you know, as the story goes on, and Satan keeps accusing him and of, of basically only worshiping the Lord. Satan is accusing Job of only worshiping the Lord for the good things he's got. Because you give him good things, he's going to worship. You take those things away, he'll curse you. Well, then the next time, it's like, well, sure, he lost his stuff, he lost his family, but skin for skin. Every man's going to be at the end. It's like, you know, the hurricane blew in, but whew, I lost everything, but hey, I'm okay. <laughs> All right, that's good enough. God protect me. God says, okay, you can strike the man. You just can't kill him. So now, Satan goes off and tries to accuse Job of only worshiping God because he's not dead. And, uh, or he's not been struck, I guess I should say, that he's not suffering physically. Well, even in the state of suffering physically, Job doesn't curse God. He wants to argue with God. He, wants to, he can't figure it out. But he's honest enough that he's not going to accuse God. He still trusts God. And so Satan lost that case. So when you see him accusing Joshua, it's got to be something along those. He's trying to prove that Joshua, now again, you can think about the man Joshua, but you can also think about the high priest position or the priesthood or the people they represent, all of Israel. They're not, they're not all they're cracked up to be. Now, the angel of the Lord is going to use a strong word here in chapter 3, verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. Now, again, that's interesting because now you've got the Lord speaking. And I think when it says the Lord said, that's the angel of the Lord who's sitting here, says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Which we seem to he's referring to, you know, a, a higher person like the father if you want to say higher but he's i you know you can say that if you want to say he's now referring to another you know the the first member of the trinity god the father uh but it's the same thing michael is going to be said in the book of jude if uh, let's flip over to jude so i can read it clearly uh when jude quotes from uh the book of the ascension of moses which is not in the scripture but it is a book that they're familiar with um it's just worth it's just worth seeing because it 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 gives you uh an idea an understanding of of another situation i'm in jude the book right before revelation there's only one chapter so it's jude verse eight and jude is making a point about the false teachers and so he's just gonna he says this in the same way these dreamers and he's referring to false teachers who are dreaming up their own non-reality they're creating their own uh yeah their own real their false reality their false truth or we could say their personal truth these dreamers pollute their own bodies reject authority and slander celestial beings Verse 9, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil, so when Michael was in this position or in a, a court case, disputing with Satan, uh, again, he's disputing 
with the devil about the body of Moses. Michael did not dare bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So in other words, when Moses died, apparently, as we go back and put this together, when Moses died and the Lord buried him, Satan somehow wanted the body or wanted the tomb to be identified so he could turn it, again, speculating that Satan could use the tomb as a false worship center, that they could end up worshiping Moses, you know, making him a saint. They can access God by touching the tomb or praying to Moses or whatever. But God says, not going to happen. We're going to bury Moses, and no one's going to know where his tomb's at. Well, there's some kind of a dispute, again, between Satan and Michael, who was doing, apparently, the burying, having the funeral for Moses, and Satan was having a dispute with Michael. So we maybe put Satan here, put Michael over here, and they're disputing. And Michael's words to Satan, the, Jude says, he did, not, uh, he did not attack Satan personally. He didn't say, you know... You're nothing but a fallen angel. You have no business, whatever. He just says, the Lord rebuke you. In other words, the Lord had made a decree. Moses is going to be buried here. We're not arguing about this. I'm just going to use the Lord's own words. The Lord rebuke you. You can't have his body. The Lord said so. And I'm going to take care of it here. So in the same way, the angel of the Lord, going back to Zechariah, uh, Satan is accusing Joshua of something, uh, apparently sin or unworthiness, or you can't be here, uh, you don't have the right to be standing before the Lord, and that could be, again, the priest, the whole priesthood, or all of Israel. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. And now, again, now we're going to find out what the Lord is rebuking him based on. In chapter 3, verse 2, on the bottom of page 1 of the notes, And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you. And here, The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. So in other words, now it's Joshua, the priesthood of Israel, and now we throw in Jerusalem. So it appears, possibly, Satan's accusation is, they have no business being restored. You have no business being in Jerusalem. I thought you burnt the city down. I thought you judged them. You can't restore Jerusalem. Again, you, when, when a nation falls and they're under God's judgment, they never come back. Where Jerusalem now is making a comeback. And saints, is that you can't, I mean, I don't know what he's saying. You can't do that. And the Lord simply says, the Lord rebuke you. So the angel of the Lord says the Lord rebuke you because Jerusalem has been chosen. The Jerusalem, because the Lord has chosen Jerusalem, you're coming against what God has wanted. And he says this again, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you, is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Again, if it's Joshua who's been plucked, but there's a fire, a fire of judgment, a fire of destruction, and Jerusalem's been charred and burnt. Joshua, in the sense, his priesthood, they've been charred and burnt. But God says, wait, I've chosen Jerusalem. Jerusalem may be burnt, but it's never going to be consumed. If a nation falls, if Rome falls, Babylon falls, Greece falls, Persia falls, Babel, uh, Assyria, Nineveh, if they fall... They're going to burn and be gone. But if Jerusalem burns, they are still have the Abrahamic covenant, an unconditional covenant. God is going to do these things. He's chosen Jerusalem. He's chosen the Jews. He's chosen the Davidic line. And if there's any kind of a judgment, we saw uh, the line of David come under judgment. We saw Jerusalem come under judgment. We saw Israel come under judgment. But all these are chosen in the Abrahamic covenant. And Satan, you can say what you want to say, but the Lord has a covenant and Jerusalem has been snatched from the fire of judgment. I'm, I'm restoring them. You have, and that, that's the end of Satan. I mean, there, there's, no more, there's no more Satan in this story. It's now just a matter of restoring Joshua, the priesthood, Israel, Jerusalem. So again, we're not sure what Satan was accusing but it would be something I would assume. You can't do this. Joshua can't be here. These people are under judgment. You can't change your mind. And God says, wait, before I brought judgment, 
I had made the declaration, they are chosen, and I will always bring them back. And that's the the strength of all the the minor prophets that we've gone through, Hosea and Micah. You go through the major prophets. Israel's going into judgment, but I've got a covenant. They'll always be brought back. And Satan apparently here is asking God to finish off Israel, finish off Jerusalem, finish off this priesthood. He goes, no, I've chosen them. You're rebuked. And that word rebuke is a very strong word. Uh, if you go to page two, I've got some references, uh, some simple references. It's the same word used for uh, when Joseph tells his father the dream about, you know, he sees his brothers bowing down, he sees the sun and the moon bowing down, which refers to his father and his mother. He sees the whole family bowing down to him. Joseph or Jacob was upset that his son would think that his his father would bow down to him he rebuked joseph also uh in the book of ruth where uh, a master if someone is working in the master's field and they steal grain they will be rebuked by the master uh also use of a priest rebuking someone who's acting inappropriately on the temple mound or of anywhere where the lord is rebuking nature such as the seas or beasts or rebuking a nation you can see jesus on the storm he rebuked the winds and the waves and they subsided it's the same word it's it's a strong word for rebuke and the lord has rebuked satan in a strong sense is you have no my authority rules over anything you're doing you're done and you're finished and so those those are the words rebuke you can see right there um point three on page two uh, you can just see at the list there, the reason for a rebuke of Satan's accusations are the Lord has chosen Jerusalem and the Lord is plucking something out of the fire. And I got question marks there. Is he plucking Jerusalem out of the fire? Oh, yes. Is he plucking the nation of Israel? Yeah. The priesthood? Well, yes. Joshua? I mean, which one? It's like, which one are we, are we talking about? And it's, it, it, I would include all of them at some point. Um, Okay, chapter 3, verse 3. Now Joshua was standing before the angel. So now Satan's gone, and now you've got Joshua standing here, where we originally started with, with some kind of a priestly setting. It was a, a, a temple setting, possibly, the priest standing before the Lord. Satan turns it into a courtroom setting. Satan's rebuked, so now we're back to this. But what's now we notice, Zechariah notices, Joshua's got filthy clothes on him. Uh, which is probably what Satan was accusing. Satan says, you, look, you, he's, he's, not, uh, he's not dressed for this setting. He's not dressed in the proper attire, you know, something like that. And the filthy would refer to his sins. Uh, the word filthy, you can see point one right there on chapter three, verse three. It's the Hebrew S-O-L, like that, soul. Uh, I'm not sure how you would pronounce it. But it's close to and similar to other words that you can see in Deuteronomy 23 and Ezekiel. It refers to human excrement of actual human waste. In Deuteronomy, it's, it's similar to the word that if, if you, you have to go to the bathroom in the camp, you take a shovel, go outside the camp, dig a hole, put the waste in the hole and cover it up and come back to camp. That's, that's the law. And that's the word. So he's covered with it's the word he's covered with human waste human filth like i've said before it's as if someone's gone he's been in the porta potty and someone tipped the porta potty upside down on him and now he's standing in front of the lord with his high priestly garments covered with human waste uh another example a similar word also is used in ezekiel where again it's a crazy story you have to go in and study it but ezekiel is told to take human excrement and use it for fuel to bake a barley cake and everyone's supposed to be watching this and it's it's ezekiel in babylon acting out scenes for the people that are going to work every day that used to be in jerusalem but now they've been taken captive and he's acting out what's happening back in the homeland of jerusalem even acting out the siege and that's again a word used where he takes human waste and uses it for fuel which is completely against the law of moses and completely against ezekiel who is a priest or would have been a priest at that time. So it's pretty clear what, what Joshua's condition is. He's standing before the Lord in a place of ministry covered with human waste. Uh, 
And the angel, okay, and, and now Joshua, chapter 3, verse 3, Zechariah writes, Now Joshua was standing before the angel, again, it doesn't say the angel of the Lord, but we assume it's the angel of the Lord, clothed with filthy garments. Chapter 3, verse 4, And the angel said to those who were standing before him, now again, who is standing before him? There's someone standing here in front. I'll just put a bunch of little A's here. I'm going to say there's a bunch of servants of the Lord, angels standing here. Because in a moment, we're going to see sitting in front of Joshua are going to be his fellow priests. Now again, those that are standing and those that are sitting could be the same group. These could be priests that are going to come minister to him. Or they could be angels. And I'm going to go with angels right here. You've got the same material I've got. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, I would think those angels in the heavenly court, remove the filthy garments from him. So God has chosen Jerusalem, and he gives the command, get rid of these filthy garments. Take them off. Uh, Remove the filthy garments. And to him he said, behold, now again, He tells the angels who are attending Joshua, remove the filthy garments. And then the angel of the Lord says to Joshua, while the garments are being removed, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. So he tells the angels, take the filthy garments off. And Joshua, your iniquity has been taken away from you. Now, is this Joshua's personal iniquity? It could be, but I think it's got to be bigger than that. It's going to be the iniquity of the priesthood. This could be simply the restoration of the priesthood. But again, the angel Lord had just got done saying, I have chosen Jerusalem. I'm going to at least suggest, I mean, it, all these things are true. It's the, it's the iniquity of the whole land, of the whole people of Israel. If it's Joshua, the priesthood, the land, the, the temple, the city of Jerusalem, it's all been taken away. God is restoring the temple he's restoring jerusalem he's restoring the priesthood but he says i've taken away your iniquity which makes the angel that is speaking makes the angel god because he's forgiving sin and i will clothe you with pure vestments um now the 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 pure vestments just like we could go back and read in exodus when uh moses had given been given directions on all the furniture and the tabernacle he was also given directions on the garments for the priests what they're supposed to wear and they they're all were made and created uh for the priest and then it came time to anoint aaron and his sons and put the high priestly garments on and so they would have a ritual where they would dress the high priest and that's kind of what's being taken place right here they're taking off those filthy garments and putting on new garments on joshua to reinstate him in the priesthood and that's what it says uh the pure vestments very similar to what moses has done in the beginning of the priesthood now there is an interesting line coming up right here the next chapter 3 verse 5 all this is making sense so far the angels are removing the filthy clothes new garments are being brought out they're being put on joshua the angel lord says these the, they're taking off filthy garments but i am removing your sin your iniquity uh, and I'm putting on new garments. So they're being clothed with something new. Now remember, this is going to eventually say all of this is symbolic of what the branch, the servant, the stone is going to do in one day. So what's taking place here is real. The land's being restored. The covenant of Abraham is real. But it's all symbolic of your iniquity being taken away and new clothes being given to you, righteousness being, unrighteousness being removed, and the righteousness of the Lord being given. It's all symbolic of that. And it doesn't go in that great, great of detail in this chapter, but you can see that it's all pointing towards that. Um, but chapter 3, verse 5, I don't have a, a full understanding of this verse. I mean, I can read it, I can tell you what it says, but wh- wh- why is it like this? While this is all, the angel of the Lord is telling the angels, apparently, to take off the filthy garments. He's telling Joshua, see, I've removed your iniquity. You're getting new garments. And then over here, pipe, piping up over here, who's the prophet, Zechariah. He's just supposed to be watching this. He's watching this, and he, I guess he's really getting into it. It's like, oh, yeah, great. And it, like, I know what this means. Ah, oh, hey, don't forget to give him a new hat. And that's it. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. 
Zachariah says, and when I saw this, I go, hey, he needs a new turban too. It's like, pick, uh, pick that up. And so they put a clean turban on his head. So the Lord is telling these angels, take off the filthy garments and tells Joshua, see, I'm giving you new garments. Zachariah goes from the background over here, hey, give him a new turban. And the angels go, oh yeah, we got one of those too. And so now the angels are listening to Zechariah give directions here, which is this interesting. So the questions would be, one, am I interpreting that right? You know, is he directing the angels? He's directing whoever the angel Lord is directing. Zechariah now is directing. But the clean turban, what is the clean turban? The high priest would have a turban, and then it had written on the front of it, it had holy to Yahweh written on the front in a metal plate. So wherever they went, wherever they'd look at it, it'd say holy to Yahweh. And so Zechariah... I, I'm going to see this as Zechariah is understanding what's taking place. He's not like, what does this mean? He's not like, hey, is there an angel here? He knows what's going on. So much to know. The first thing that this indicates, Zechariah understands exactly what's going on. In fact, he says, let's take it all the way. Put that hat on that says, holy to Yahweh. Put him right back where it goes. The whole land, the whole city. We're all holy to Yahweh. We're back in place. So Zechariah is, is apparently indicating not one that he understands it but also let's finish this and put the hat on from head to toe get this all back in place the other thing oh yeah uh, so they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments and the angel of the lord was standing by so now the angel of the lord is watching this so while Zechariah is giving this instruction the angels do it and the angel of the lord observes it which means it's all acceptable to that i turn the page of the notes page three and uh i got this is this is probably weak but it's worth looking at uh that turban could be the priestly turban being restored but it doesn't say this is priestly garments but obviously i think it is because it's the high priest being restored and the garments being you know clean garments and the turban would be the high priestly turban. The other thing is, it, it, it could be a slightly different word that is being used, and it could be uh, some kind of a, a hat or a headband of celebration. Like they're getting ready for a, a, the, its festive garments. Uh, if, if you go back and read the, the terms there, it's not just high priestly garments, but it's, it's festive garments. They're getting ready to celebrate. And so the headdress maybe part of indicating joy uh, of of completeness of their their this is going to be a great time indicating again the re- reaction to the lord's restoration and forgiveness is this overflowing joy getting ready for a party getting ready for a celebration and that may be another part of this besides the high priest turban it may be a the headdress worn for a celebration because it is a, a formal dress okay Chapter 3, verse 6. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua. And this verse kind of pulls it all back into the priestly realm because he's now going to tell Joshua, the angel of the Lord is going to tell Joshua, uh, he's going to give him a, a charge that's going to have two conditions that he's going to have to meet. The angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts. So the angel of the Lord is speaking, and he's speaking for the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, of all the angelic armies. He is the one in charge. He says, if you walk in my ways, walk in my ways, and it sounds similar, uh, if you walk in my ways and keep my charge, that's the English standard, keep my charge. Now, we would think that's kind of similar. I've got written down there at the bottom of page 3, if you combine the English Standard and the NIV, walk in my ways or walk in obedience. That's one. And if you keep my charge or keep my requirements, you know, requirements, keep my law, requirements, uh, keep my instructions, or... One could be, perform my services. And that would be, again, ministry. If you'll walk in obedience and fulfill the priesthood, which would be the charge given to the priest, it would be the uh, uh, um, 
the requirements given to the priests or the law. So this again could be talking just to the priesthood, walking in obedience. And I think now this is going to zoom in on the priest because they've got to walk in obedience and they've got to keep the charge given to the priest or perform the services would be the same thing. Those are the two charges. And if they will do that, this is they're being given this charge. Now remember, all this is symbolic because whenever you, it's like, the priesthood has come under judgment. They're being restored. Israel's being restored. And if you go, you go back, if you just look at this on a legalistic basis, it's like there. Now they've learned their lesson. That they've gone into judgment. Their temple's been burned. Now they're going to have a second chance. It's going to be different this time. Okay, now we know from human nature, we know from biblical theology, we know from the New Testament, that's not gonna, nothing's going to change. They're just being reestablished so we can move God's plan, keep God's plan back on track. They were just disciplined. Now they're back on track and we're heading into the next phase. But they're still not going to be able to trust the high priest, the priesthood, the people of Israel, the nation. It, they're still sinful. So they're being given a charge right here. You say, okay, well, at least now they're going to take it serious. But anytime you give a fallen man a charge and say, you better take this serious, they go, I will do it you know they're going to fail. And that's just, that's Bible. But yet it says later on, right after we get done with this, this is a symbol, symbol, or a sign of things to come. Someone's going to come and is going to do these things. They're going to keep the requirements. They're going to walk in obedience. And then these things are going to happen. And the one that's going to do it is going to be, Jesus is going to be the one to fulfill this and walk in obedience. And there's going to be one, two, three things. If, if Joshua will walk in obedience and will keep the requirements, then he'll have these things. That's bottom of page three, turning to top of page four. The blessings will be, one, rule my house. Now, when, the, when it says rule my house, that would refer to the temple, which makes sense. They're talking to the priest. I've got this, other translations, rule my house, govern my house, and it refers to service in the temple. And then you'll have charge of my courts. So you will then, like the Levites, you'll be the ones observing the courts of the temple, the the precincts, watching the gates, making sure nothing unholy comes up on the temple mound. That's why they had swords guarding the, the gatekeepers of the temple. And that nothing false is taught there. So you're watching for holiness, cleanliness, uh, but also for correct teaching, correct doctrine. You'll be in charge of my courts. And three is the third thing, right of access among those who are standing here. That's coming up. It just says right of access among those who are standing here. Who are they standing among? They're standing among the angels. So you'll rule my temple, you'll be in charge of the courts, making sure things are proper, and you'll have the right to come stand right here where Satan says, you can't be here, but you'll have the right, in the different translations, point C at the top of page 4, right of access among those who are standing here, or give you a place among these standing here, and that I write refers to access to God, just as these angelic beings have constantly. And that's what Jesus is. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Uh, but he was, he was talking to the priesthood here. Uh, if you will walk in my ways, keep my requirements, you'll rule the temple, my house. You'll be in charge of the courts. And you'll have the right to come here and stand among these that are standing here in front of me today. So that's, again, that's the promise. Now, all Joshua and the priests have to do is don't violate the law and always be obedient and you'll have these things. Well, as you know, in 30 AD, the priesthood turns against the Messiah, kills him, crucifies him. And in 70 AD, they lost their temple. They lost their courts. Uh, they're driven from the land. They had no access to even go to the temple mount. They still, Jews, are waiting, wanting to get to the temple mount. Uh, that's the whole idea of the Western Wall. So obviously, that didn't work. Uh, which means, again, that's what's coming up here. That was just, again, a symbol of something better to come. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 8 on page 4. 
Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you. Now he says, Joshua, the, and he calls him high priest, and your friends who sit before you. So now you've got, I'm going to say, like I said, I'm going to put a bench, bench P's here. The priests, they're called friends, they're called associates. These would not be the angels that were attending to Joshua. These would be, apparently, the priesthood. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you. For they are men who are a sign. Joshua, you and all these people that we're dressing up, talking about right now, you're nothing more than a sign. You represent something. Because, like I just said, just from our perspective, they were given two charges, and if they do these two things, they're going to have these three blessings. Well, they're not going to do these, so they're not going to get these blessings. So what's the point of this? You're dressing Joshua up so he can get filthy again. In fact, worse, he's going to kill the Messiah, the priesthood. So you're not going to do this. Don't even worry about it. You're a sign. Just go through the acts because you're pointing to something bigger than yourself. For behold, okay, uh, let me go read this again. Here now, verse, chapter 3, verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant one, servant two, the branch. I will bring my servant the branch for behold on the stone and then it's interesting on the stone that i have set before joshua on a single stone with seven eyes so i'm going to bring my servant the branch the stone you are all a, a sign of my servant the branch the stone and on that stone is going to be seven eyes which is speaking of deity you can break that down the seven spirits of god is omniscience seeing everything knowing everything if nothing else the seven eyes is an indication of deity this servant this branch this stone it's going to be god god is coming it's emmanuel it's a stone that is in great uh, 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 on a let me read for chapter 3 verse 9 for behold on the stone that i have set before joshua on a single stone with seven eyes so this stone has seven eyes this stone is deity the stone is the branch which is the servant that's sent by the lord the lord is going to send a servant which is the branch which is the stone with seven eyes it's god you're all representing the day that god sends god to do what you can't do i will engrave its inscription declares lord i will write on that stone it's a stone but i will write on that stone an inscription declares the lord of hosts the lord of armies spiritual armies and because of all this i will remove remove the iniquity of this land in a single day not joshua or not just joshua not the priesthood but the land the whole land their iniquity we we took off joshua's filthy clothes gave him new clothes but all that is representing the day a sign representing the day that i send the servant the branch the stone who is god and on that day i'll remove the iniquity of the whole land just like i removed your filthy clothes and gave you new garments i'll do that to the whole land on that day when this happens now it's not happening in 519 bc it's not happening here this is just a symbol of what's this is getting this is all being restored to set it up so that this can happen now what is that day of the iniquity being removed i think there's two answers to that uh and they are in a sense the same in in a way the one is the crucifixion crucifixion did i spell that right help me out is that right crucifixion what no x how about hey hey watch cross see i can write books but i can't spell so we gotta got spell check okay uh cross and then the second coming and let me explain this 
Because obviously, on the cross, Jesus died and sin was removed. Um, where am I place? Uh, I will remove the iniquity in a single day. And I, okay, boy, I got some good verses there. I got to see what time it's getting to be here. Okay. Um, there's more information about this on the bottom page four. The servant, uh, let me, before I go, go here, the servant, the one who comes to do God's will, and then I've got verses Isaiah written there that's describing as a servant, the branch, the branch of David, the one who will restore David's dynasty and restore David's fallen tent. It's the branch coming out of the cut down tree. It's a branch that grows. And the stone of judgment that is unmovable and causes men to stumble. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, that's the stone that strikes the statue at the bottom and then becomes a mountain, which becomes a kingdom over the whole earth. And then Romans 9, 31 through 33, the stone that causes men to stumble. It's the stone of salvation, but men don't have faith in it. They stumble. Peter describes that. Did I spell crucifixion right on page 5? Okay, there I spelled it right. I had spell check. Because of this stone, the sin will be removed in a single day. And again, the crucifixion, the cross, that's when Jesus paid for sins. Clearly, that's got to be part of it. But interestingly, Zechariah 13, verse 1. Go to Zechariah 13, verse 1. This whole chapter is a a vision talking about uh, Israel. It's Israel's high priest, Joshua. It's Israel's priesthood. It's Israel's city, Jerusalem. It's all being restored. But on this day in 30 A.D., when Jesus dies on the cross, is resurrected three days later, many Jews believe on it and are saved. And that message goes to the Gentiles. They believe on it. Sin of the world was removed in one day. But if you didn't, in a sense, now stay with me, if you didn't receive that cross, the salvation of Jesus Christ, between 30 A.D. and today, or whenever the final day is, uh, you didn't receive that salvation. I mean, it's still available, but you didn't receive it. But at his second coming, in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1, there is a group of people, we'll just say Jews, and put it in quotes because many Jews, including the apostles and Paul and Uh, They became believers, and there's many Jews that today are believers in Jesus Christ. But there is, in a sense, a national group of Jews that are waiting for their Messiah, and they've rejected Jesus. Uh, Look in chapter 13, uh, verse 1. Well, I'm going to go to chapter 12, actually, and read into it. We'll get here eventually. We know this verse. We looked at it before. But chapter 12, verse 10 It says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, weeping in Jerusalem will be great like the weeping of Hadad-Rimmon in the plain of Megiddo. Okay, in that day that that was not 30 a.d that's talking about jews in jerusalem who sometime yet in the future are going to look on the one they pierce they're going to see and they're going a, a spirit of of grace and supplication will be poured out and god is going to open their eyes they're going to see something i think it's jesus christ appearing coming down at the second coming appearing in the atmosphere on his throne like when it says in revelations uh when the world runs to hide hide us from him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb the jews will have had been betrayed by the antichrist when they had the temple given to them and they're running from the city during some time period after that jesus is going to appear they're going to look on the one in the sky in the atmosphere and see the one they pierce and they are going to repent. On that day, verse 11, the weeping will be great. Verse 12, the land will mourn each clan by itself and describes every, from David to Nathan. All, every, it gives you a list of people groups, but everybody all the way through society is going to repent or mourn. Chapter 13, verse 1, on that day, not 30 A.D., but this day in the future. We do not know when this day is, 
But I'll say this, according to my eschatology, and I might be wrong, I don't know for sure, it's going to be, if I were to draw a, uh, if I were to draw a, a timeline here of the 70th week, uh, we'll just say the seven-year tribulation, the 70th week, at the midway point, the Antichrist breaks the treaty, and the Jews are in temple worship right here. During this time period, the Jews are in temple worship right here. And, we, you know, the red heifer and all that talk today, we may be getting close to it. We don't know. But during this first three and a half years, the Jews will be having temple worship. At the halfway point, the Antichrist will set himself up in the temple as if he were God, take over, and the Jews will flee. They'll go into hiding, and they're like, what's going on? We thought we found our Cyrus. We thought we found our, 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 our Messiah. But it's going to be a false Messiah. It's going to be the Antichrist. And he breaks the treaty. And then Jesus appears in the sky at this point. And that's where, again, this is what I'm teaching as I understand this now, is that's where the rapture takes place. And the Jews see the church go up. This is chapter 7 of Revelation. Uh, There's many standing before the throne. Where have they come from? They've come out of the great tribulation. The, the elder tells John. And the church, which would include believing Jews, are raptured to meet the Lord in the air as he appears in the atmosphere. The Jews see the one they pierced and they begin to mourn because in one day they're going to be cleansed, but they aren't part of the church. They've missed the rapture and now they're going to go into hiding until Jesus Christ returns to the earth. This is where he pours out the uh the trumpets and the bowls this is where the wrath of god is poured out here the church is gone the jews are in hiding and babylon is judged now again that's contrary to the pre-trib rapture here which many people believe i used to teach that uh and we'll find out when the jews start the temple worship and you see it and the Antichrist signs a seven-year treaty with the Jews, and you don't know who the Antichrist is. Maybe it's a Zelensky or somebody. Who knows? And, uh, and, and you see the Jews starting to have temple worship, and persecution starts to break out against the church in an un, 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 understandable fashion. Uh, you, then you'll start to say, okay, maybe it's not pre-trib. You'll think, okay, we're looking for this. But if we go up here, and we never see these things, and then I'll be up here with you, and you'll be able to say, I'll be me, I'm up here, uh, and you'll be able to say, see, you were wrong. And I'll say, I'm glad I was wrong that we're up here and not down here. But right now, I think that's what we're looking for. Nonetheless, chapter 13, verse 1, on that day right here, so it's after the three and a half year mark, uh, again, I'm not sure, a week, a, a month, half a year, I don't know. On that day, a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from the sin and impurity. On that day, I will banish the names of the idols from the land, and they will be remembered no more, declares the Lord Almighty. I will remove both prophets and the spirit of impurity. And goes through and talks about that. Uh, and that goes into chapter 14, talks about the Lord. Chapter 14, verse 1, talking about the Lord returning to the Mount of Olives and the battles that take place and leading into, and his feet will stand. See, in chapter 14, his feet will stand. Chapter 12 and 13, he appears and they see him. In chapter 14, his feet are on the Mount of Olives right here. Uh, And that leads into the, the millennial kingdom. Verse 9 of chapter 14, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. Uh, And then it goes on uh, and talks about, uh, everything being holy lord verse 20 of chapter 14 and you're in the millennial kingdom and that that's how this vision ends uh chapter i'll read chapter 3 verse 9 again and we're wrapping this up chapter 3 verse 9 behold on the stone that i have set before joshua on a single stone with seven eyes i'll engrave its inscription declares the lord of hosts again what what is the inscription i do not know maybe holy to the lord like was on the priest maybe something about salvation declares lord of hosts and i will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day that was 30 a.d when jesus died on the cross and your iniquity was removed many rejected it and they went into darkness their eyes were covered a veil was covering their eyes paul teaches that but when jesus appears they'll see the one they pierced they'll mourn 
and the iniquity will be removed in a single day right here in the land of Israel. And he describes the nation, the whole nation mourning, and they will all come to salvation in the same Savior, the same way that we do today and we have for 2,000 years. They will as a nation at this point right here in history. And I think that's probably, uh, in a sense, that's, that all crunches together as the Messiah came end times have begun he's just went away and is waiting to reappear and how long that takes place and then now after this after that takes place we're in the thousand year millennium and that's the last verse chapter 3 verse 10 on page 5 in that day declares the lord of hosts every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree and that in micah chapter 4 verse 4 uh, it's point C at the bottom of page 5. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. And that is a promise of this coming kingdom age in the earth. And I think that's where it ends up. And so everything you saw in the vision is symbolic of the servant, the branch, the stone with seven eyes, who will come and remove iniquity from the land in one day. 30 AD, but then through the land, Israel will respond to it someday in the tribulation and they'll go into salvation. And Paul talks about that also. So there we have that right here, chapter 3 of Zechariah, and that is the, the fourth vision. I'll pray and uh, we'll be done. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ today and the hope of his kingdom that's coming. We ask again that we may live in a way that is pleasing to you, that we may have our eyes open, that we may understand these things in either even greater depth than we understand them now, that we may have a faith in the true word of God, a faith that produces changes and transformation in our lives to become more like Jesus Christ himself. Again, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for the spirit. We thank you for fellowship with other believers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.